with Morgan streaking. She's chipping the goalkeeper! The pay disparity between the men and women is, is just too large and, and we want to continue to fight. Uh, the generation of players before us fought and now it's our job to, to keep on fighting. The pay cap for the women's Major League Soccer players is 11 times less than the pay cap for men's Major League Soccer. 11 times. Rapino gets across it. Listening to Give and Go with Rotas Wadera only on Girls Soccer Network. Hello and welcome. This is Give and Go on Family FM, recording inside Canal Street Studio. I am your host, Rotas Wadera, and thank you for making the choice to listen to us at Girls Soccer Network. Again, giving you guys a little more info about Canal Street Market. It is a really happened in awesome place. I came here two weeks ago last Sunday and I'm here again on a Saturday and this place has always got a great vibe and we are very grateful to to be able to use this studio. So if you're ever looking to record a podcast, you definitely, definitely need to get down here right in the heart of Chinatown. So we've got a lot planned as we always do. Two awesome interviews at the college level with two coaches. One, a head coach, Chris Petroselli the SMU head coach down in Dallas. He's won, a four, he's won a national title at Notre Dame, also coached at Texas. He brings a tremendous amount of insight to the women's game. We're happy to bring you that interview. And our second interview is with Jenny Ruiz-Williams, who is a former player of the Mexican women's national team, has represented them at a World Cup, played college soccer at UNLV, and She's currently an assistant coach at Division One program Cal State Northridge. So, again, two great interviews. If you're a big fan of the college game, definitely keep it locked here. On top of that, we've also got plenty of stuff to talk about from the world of women's soccer. We have the U.S. women's national team taking part in the CONCACAF championship. A lot of great storylines going on there. Uh, we have the Kansas City Royals suing the Utah Royals. That is that is a crazy story in and of itself, and you definitely definitely want to stay stay and hear all about that story. Lastly, the Ballon d'Or shortlist came out, and uh, fifteen amazing players. Really really excited to to go through that list and break down all the top players in the world because I really feel that the FIFA World Player of the Year shortlist that. FIFA comes out with every year simply isn't good enough and does not get the best of the best on this list. But this Ballon d'Or nominees list is, is really a great one. So let's get right into it. First off, we've got the U.S. Women's National Team who have looked absolutely dominant from start to finish. Three games, three wins, no goals allowed. I mean, six, seven goals in each game. It's what we expected right? They're playing inferior competition, Trinidad and Tobago, Panama, Mexico, three countries that are all in the top 60, uh, 65, I would say, in the FIFA rankings. But again, the USA are the best team in the world. And it was really great to see them flex their muscles, show off their depth, because they have a tremendous amount of talent on the roster. Uh, really, when, the, when they are at their best, uh, good luck stopping them. It's, it's almost a bit of a concern as, as they go on 
you know, as they go through the tournament, you know, they, they play Jamaica coming up in the semifinal, which, again, is a more than winnable game. I think it's, you know, there's probably a 99.9% chance that they win this game. But you have to question, they're probably going to face Canada in the final, and Canada is the only other team in this in this region that is probably of, of quality. And so when you look at what they bring to the table, uh, the USA cannot afford to come out flat and, and let their... You know, and really get lulled to sleep with the level of competition that they've been playing. It's almost been so easy for them. Can they really maintain that same level of intensity as they go into a potential final against Canada? But of course, we cannot look over the Jamaicans who present a different sort of problem for the United States. Of any of the teams that they have faced so far, the Jamaicans bring a tremendous amount of athleticism and physicality that uh, other nations simply cannot bring and they have three or four players uh who actually play college soccer here in the states so they're familiar with the style of play they're familiar with how the americans play and so we'll see what kind of insight they can bring to the game uh in, including uh, they have a 16 year old which uh which is pretty crazy she plays down at montverde academy down in florida uh so it's it's really cool to see other countries you know, really get to also show off their federation, not their federation, but show off their soccer program on the world stage. So with that being said, the United States should be able to handle Jamaica. They should also be able to beat Canada. But of course, that is such an intense rivalry. The Canadians do not like to lose to the Americans. They feel like they're just as good as the Americans. They feel like they, you know, they're here to stay as, as a world power in, in women's soccer. So that will be a very, very fun matchup. Uh, assuming that they will uh, advance, I mean, they should. Canada will be taking on Panama, which, again, one of the surprises of the tournament. We have a great article on the site right now. Uh, Yenith Bailey, the 17-year-old who has been playing out of her mind this tournament, Panama pulling off one of the upsets by taking out Mexico, beating them 2-0. You know, Mexico had a tremendous amount of expectations going into this. They were looking to replicate what they did in 2010, trying to beat America to, in, or, in order to qualify, but it just did not happen. A loss to Panama was huge. But it's just an incredible story for Panama, for, for, such, a, for such a small nation. We already saw the men's team make history by qualifying for their first World Cup last summer. And now the women are on the verge. They are one win away from from sealing a spot uh, at the 2019 World Cup in France, which would be monumental if they were somehow able to knock off Canada and, uh, and, 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 and earn their spot. So that would be incredible. But, you know, we don't want to get too, too ahead of ourselves here. Uh, so in terms of this competition it's been great so far love what all of the players have been doing i love what rose lavelle and mallory Pugh bring to the u.s women's national team side because you know jill ellis can kind of move them around and use them in different areas of the pitch you know we've seen rose lavelle go out on the wing but she looked very effective playing as one of the central midfielders in in that three midfielder pairing that three midfielder trio that Jill Ellis has implemented, whether it's Haran, Ertz, and Lavelle, 
right? That could be a fun little combination of players in terms of att attacking-wise against a more defensive outfit. Uh, in terms of other players who, who have looked great, I mean, Alex Morgan continues her, her tremendous scoring run. She is quickly approaching 100 goals in a United States women's national team jersey, which, again, is, is a tremendous feat, and it seems like more and more players are, are getting towards that, that terrific milestone. The defense hasn't really had to do anything. There's not really much to talk about in terms of defending because, you know, they press so well. Everyone on the pitch presses so well. All In all of the three games that the United States have played, I mean, if you were to take a look at the number of passes completed combined, you know, the United States definitely dwarfed that within their first match, the number of passes completed. So you look at their ball movement, their interplay, they're just a head and shoulders above everyone that they're going up against, and uh, it's really unfair. So, again, we will see how it all plays out uh, Sunday night, which is, in this case, tomorrow. By the time this podcast gets released, you know, we'll see what the result is, but, you know, it, it's an exciting time, and we'll see how the rest of the CONCACAF championship plays out. Now, this story... Uh, one of the more surprising stories that I never, ever would have expected in the world of sports. And when I read the headline, I was honestly shocked. The Kansas City Royals, a, a Major League Baseball team, have decided to sue the brand new franchise of the NWSL, who are just a year old, the Utah Royals, over trademark rights for the name, the Royals, along with other use of merchandise, such as like l images of, of a lion, which... If again for for those out there who do not follow baseball at all, the Royals are the least flashy team in baseball. There is nothing that they do that indicates that they would need extra money, that they would need any kind of support for for merchandising, especially when their merchandise really doesn't even involve a lion anywhere in you know, you could go to shop online, check anything out. There is nothing that you could buy that relates to a lion which is what the Royals have been using. I mean, it's, app it's appalling that a men's team needed to go out of their way. Clearly, they feel threatened. I mean, there's no other reason why you would go out of your way to, to sue a brand-new franchise over a name, right? I mean, they're two completely different sports in two completely different cities, two completely different realms altogether. I mean, I don't understand how... A men's, you know, it just, I mean, it's a good thing because it clearly means that the, like, women's soccer has arrived and it's only going to continue to grow if, if they honestly feel threatened by literally just the name. Okay. But we'll have to see how this all shakes out. It's going to be, it's going to be really, really interesting to see how this all shakes out um, over something so incredibly silly. I mean, it's silly, really. The, the Royals, a, a name. Like, you can have your name, Kansas City. I mean, we get it. You're, you're a proud baseball organization. You won World Series titles. But that, I mean, I don't know how, how the two uh, really correlate. They, they really don't. They're, like, if you asked any one of the Royals, if you asked the Royals, the Kansas City Royals fan base, if they had even, you know, they probably didn't even know what the Utah Royals were, if you were to ask them in, out in Kansas City. They have no idea. 
they wouldn't have a clue about about the Utah Royals and, and that they were a brand new franchise. Would have no clue until this story broke. So rant over. We'll see how that plays out. But hopefully they don't have to change the name. It's a great name. The franchise that the jerseys they've gotten they really got everything right in terms of building this new organization out in Utah with a strong fan base. They already have the Rio Tinto Stadium to play at, so it's it's a great situation for them and hopefully nothing has to change in, in that department. So, next up, we have our first interview of the show. Chris Petroselli, the SMU head coach. Uh, again, one of the best coaches in the game. Just earned his 400th win as a collegiate coach. I believe only 20 coaches at the Division One level have been able to achieve such a feat. So, congratulations to him. We talk about that along with a ton of other things in this interview so here you are so chris you recently earned 400 wins as a head coach at the collegiate level congratulations that's an amazing achievement tell us about the occasion and what it means for you to reach such a milestone in your career yeah i thank you um and certainly it's a you know it's a it's a nice number and and uh you know it was um it was a a good day and and you know, more than anything, it was a good day because it meant we won the game, and and that uh, on the day that that's more important than any you know any individual honor or anything like that. But you know, I was happy to um to have uh, my family there and 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 to celebrate. You know, what's a a nice accomplishment with uh, with my team, who's been um, you know just a joy to work with. So it, it was a good day for us. You've coached at big programs in the past. Notre Dame, you won a national title there. You've coached at Texas as well. What was it about SMU that attracted you to the job to play, to go coach in Dallas? Yeah, so SMU for um for us was a, you know, it was just a real good fit um for my family. I had a uh at the time um my daughter was just about to start college, uh, college and, and SMU was a really good fit for her. And I had a son who was a year away from from starting college. And uh, you know, there aren't a lot of uh, there aren't a lot of uh, options for for boys in Division One in Texas, and SMU was was one of them. So both of uh, both of my older kids were uh, were soccer players, and, and SMU was a good fit for them. And, and if it was a good fit for them, that meant you know it was a good fit for me. So you talked about SMU being a good fit, and the team has gotten off to a great start so far this year. How do you feel about this group, and what are your goals and expectations the rest of the way as you're in the middle of conference play? Yeah, it's a good, it's a good group, and there's certainly some some talent, you know, all across the field. But you know, we we've been uh, we've been pretty good going forward, and and that may be something that we've lacked the last couple of years. Just you know, a number of of quality players going forward, and I, and I, I think we're starting to prove our quality going forward. Uh, so it's a team that can score goals and, and, you know, we've been good on the back end as well. So, um, you know, we're, we've started well, we've started well in conference. We've got hard games coming up, uh, you know, as far as, you know, long-term goals and things like that for us, we're, we're always just, you know, one game at a time and hope to win the next one. And, and, you know, the next one for us, which is tomorrow, and that'll be a, a tough one for us. And, you know, and then move on to the next one. Playing in the AC, AAC, I'm sure, has to be tough with travel. You're from Dallas, and you're going to Connecticut, North Carolina, Florida, Ohio. 
How do you and your staff manage that and make sure your team is as prepared and fresh as they can be? It's difficult. I think it's one of the biggest challenges. So, you know, we're in the middle of a road trip now where we played first at, at Cincinnati. We, le- we left on a Wednesday, uh, played on Thursday. On Friday, we, we flew into North Carolina uh, and we'll play again on Sunday in North Carolina and then, you know, get back to Dallas late Sunday night and have to play again on Thursday. So we spend a lot of time on uh, on uh, recovery activities and making sure that, you know, we're, we're hydrating properly, we're, we're eating properly, um, and that our training is appropriate. You know, our training really, really needs to be appropriate. And when you're playing, you know, tough games like this, uh, you can't spend a ton of time out on the practice field. You know, you, you got to spend more time resting than you than you do training. And, and I think managing that is, is uh, one of the trickiest parts. Does that impact recruiting at all when you're going to talk to talent around the country? You know, it, certainly the, the, the fact that we play all these different places uh, helps us because, you know, we're, we're in some places that, you know, there are a lot of good players and, and people are uh, become interested when they get a chance to see you play, see you play. And, Sometimes maybe they're going to watch the other team play and your team plays pretty well. And all of a sudden, you, you know, you develop a, a fan or a relationship along the way that could help you in recruiting. So I think the league has helped us in recruiting and um, and hopefully the, you know, the uh, the quality of our play helps us in recruiting. Mm-hmm. You've been a college coach for more than 20 years. Do you have a set plan as to how much longer you're going to coach for and what drives you to, to continue to do this? Well, look, I enjoy it every day, and and uh, I enjoy being on a practice field. I enjoy being being with my team, and as long as that happens, I'll do it forever. You know that you know it's it's one of those things that you know if you enjoy it, there's no reason why why you wouldn't continue to do it. And and you know I am definitely enjoying myself right now, and and hope I continue to enjoy myself. But that'll determine you know what what happens in the future. Have you thought about does does SMU seem like a place where you could potentially end your career? Certainly, uh, certainly, it's a it's a place that you know that that I could I could be uh, for a long time. Hopefully, you know if, if they'll have me, um, you know it's it's a it's a great community. Um, it's a outstanding university, and and it's a place that's really committed to soccer and and has great soccer tr- tradition. And you know, it's both on the men's and the women's side. And you know I enjoy having having the men's team around as well and and watching their games as well. So. It's a it's a good place for me, and again, a really good place for my family. I'll say this: my wife loves Dallas. You know, we we live uh, downtown and and enjoy all the all the parts of downtown Dallas as well. And in in terms of all all of the experience you've accumulated over the years, in your opinion, how much has the college game changed since you first started coaching? In terms of both how the game is played and recruiting and things like that. Yeah, well, it's it's changed a great deal. You know, when I first started, there were 80 division one women's soccer teams. Now there's 330 some. Um, so there's a lot more opportunity, which is great, you know, great for the players. And there are the athletes are better. You know, the athletes are, are a lot better and they keep getting better and better each year. And there's more and more of them and more athletes has led to a game that's, you know, it's faster and, and, and more physical. Uh, but what we're starting to see more and more now is, is teams that are, they, that ha- that have really good athletes, but also can you know can pass the ball and, and can play real quality soccer, and we're seeing more and more of that. You know, more teams that can do that now, and and I think that's that's great for the growth of the game. I think 
for a long time, you know, the, the game was dominated by teams that, you know, just were bigger, stronger, faster than everybody else. But I don't know if you can do that anymore. I think now you have to have athletes and soccer players. Now, one more question uh, before I let you go. Um, we, uh, we understand you're the first college program to team up with uh, Topical Gear, a company we're very close with, with Bill View, and we understand you guys are friends. Tell us more about the decision to, to work with Topical Gear and use their products. Well, I've, I've known Bill a long time, and, and you know, Bill's always uh, always been uh, the kind of guy who's thinking outside the box a little bit, and and uh, I think it's great that, that he decided that, you know, he was going to get into trying to find some products that, that would help uh, some uh, young young athletes, uh, and he's developed, I think, a, a great line of products um, that, that are available to, to anybody that, you know, help all different parts of the body and and uh you know as he started developing these things i started looking at him and and saying you know look we all have we all have uh injuries i mean injuries are a big big part of what we do and and in our sport you know the the acl injury is it's it's kind of like the plague i mean you know everybody has it and you're getting more and more of them and yeah. and they're ruining your season mm-hmm. you know it, you know it ruins certainly ruins the individual player season but it ruins your team and and every team you look at has has two or three of them and and you know bill has developed i think a very good product that that helps with this and i thought if if we could help our players why wouldn't we you know why wouldn't we do everything we could to try to to try to prevent these things as much as we can so we we've teamed up uh with bill and and his products continue to to refine and and continue to get better and better and how happy are the players with with the products it's it's interesting, you know. The first time the first time they they uh, wore them, they they didn't quite know what to think. But you know, after a couple of days, they they could feel the their muscles even fatiguing some, and and knowing that their muscles were getting stronger. And then, you know, if you if you take someone who's a good athlete and and you can show them, uh, hey, here's a way you can get better. Uh, they they jump on it and they're all over it. And I found our guys really, you know, to to take to to these products because. You know, it's helped their performance. Again, that was Chris Petroselli, the SMU head coach, one of the best in the game right now. At the end of that interview, you heard us talk about Topical Gear and how they were one of the first collegiate programs to start using those products. And quickly, we just have a quick word from our sponsors, Topical Gear, on their products. Topical Gear was formed in 2011 by a team of professionals from the orthopedic sports medicine field. Collectively, this team has over two centuries of knowledge in athletic training, biomechanics, product development, manufacturing, orthopedic sports medicine, arthroscopy, and the pioneering of products in the orthopedic sports medicine market. Their team is constantly on the field or in the gym, getting feedback directly from players, parents, coaches, and athletic trainers as part of their continuing effort to develop products that help increase female athletes' performance while keeping them healthy. All of their products are backed by professional published research and tested by athletes at both the high school and college level. All of you soccer players, parents, and other athletes out there, go to www.compressioninmotion.com and check out the T25 knee along with other shoulder and ankle products. Alrighty, it is time to get international. Uh, I could not be more excited Uh, to break down this list for the first time ever. Uh, The French Football Federation decided to open up a Ballon d'Or award, which is the best player in the world, 
this year, 15 different nominees based on their play from last year. And we're going to get into each one. Just a quick little blurb on each player on the list and some thoughts on them. Uh, this is also going to really test my pronunciation, so I'm excited about this. Here we go. So, first up, we've got the two Brits on the list. Lucy Bronze applies her trade for Lyon in France, the best uh, women's team, arguably the best women's team in the world. Obviously, the North Carolina Courage are also in that discussion, but Lyon are consistently the Champions League winners, the best team in Europe. And they make up, they have about six or seven players on this list, so get used to hearing Lyon. But Lucy Bronze is largely considered to be the best right back in the world with her play and pretty much the Lyon team similar to the courage similar to the thorns is littered with all-stars of of just tremendous players the other is is Fran Kirby of Chelsea who is a special player won PFA player of the year last year along with football writers player of the year which uh, if you do a clean sweep with both of those awards and in England they have you know they really take it seriously the writers take it take the voting for that award very seriously so if you can pull it off and win both uh it truly means that you're a really really good player so hats off to fran kirby uh england you know with players like those they've got jody taylor they've got farrah williams we'll see if farrah williams makes it onto the you know the roster this summer but they've got a lot of great players that are a top five team in the world and when you have two players making this list it's certainly no surprise uh Pernil harder of denmark uh, one of the more prolific strikers out there in Europe. Plays for Wolfsburg in the German Bundesliga. Had 30 goals in all competitions last year. It uh, doesn't matter what league you play in. If you had 30 goals, uh, it's a, you know, it's an achievement in and of itself. So congrats to her for making the shortlist. Probably, if we had to rank her, she's probably in that 10 to 15 range. Probably wouldn't crack the top 10. But, of course, when you're one of the top scorers in the world... Um, you're going to make the list. Next up is Ada Hedeberg of Norway. And she is, I mean, you want to talk about truly prolific. I mean, one of the more dangerous uh, goal scorers who can really score from just about anywhere. Had 31 goals last year. She pretty much gets at least 20. She's gotten at least 20 uh, over the last five seasons. And she's only 23. So she's been doing this for a while. And the fact that she, you know, she's only going to get better, only going to improve. So, who knows? Maybe one day uh, we can get her over to the NWSL. But not, you know, not too sure. The Norwegians don't seem too fond of of coming here. You don't see right now. We don't have many Norwegian players. We don't have many Swedish players over here, despite how good their national teams are. So hopefully, you know, Ada Hederberg is is the type of striker who would. Uh, set the league alight, that's for sure, if she were to come over. Next up, Amandine Henri, uh, a f another French superstar who is definitely a top-five player. Uh, her quality is is unmatched on the ball. She's a long-distance goal scorer who can do it from there. She can distribute. She makes things happen. And it's really clear how much the Portland Thorns missed her presence in the midfield this year because Celeste Bure did about as good of a job as she possibly could. I mean, she really did. But when you miss someone of that quality in the midfield, if, if, if the Thorns had her in the side still this year, if they managed to keep her, uh, 
I think the, the NWSL final would have been a lot closer than people would have thought because of how she can control tempo and, and pull the strings uh, with what she does in the midfield. So that would have been a uh, really fun, but she's, you know, with Lyon back with Lyon winning champions leagues, like it's no big deal. Uh, and that's really what their focus is every single year because, you know, the French league is, is always theirs similar, you know, they are on the, on the women's side, Lyon is the best used to be the same thing on the men's t- side as well. They had like a stretch of seven straight, uh, Liga titles, but now it's PSG and, and that whole dominance is again, a whole separate issue with, with the new money and the new owners, but Amandine Henri, one of the best in the world. And if you get a chance to watch or play, uh, elegance personified. Next up is Lindsay Haran. Again, one of the best out there. We obviously know her very, very well here in America. She's really turned herself in, into one of the more complete midfielders in the world. Uh, a true, true number 10 who goes box to box, but really rare because of her aerial ability. Not many midfielders. There really aren't many. Maybe I think she's the only one who impacts the game with her head as well as everywhere else on the pitch. So she is a very deserving choice to make it on on this list. And, of course, the other American, uh, Megan Rapinoe, who uh, really is an individual of her own. She is one of a kind. I mean, she could probably make this list every year. She's a definitive top 10 player there's really no debating that probably you could make a case top five uh, may not may not win the award simply because of of production and we generally tend to look at stats even though that doesn't necessarily tell doesn't necessarily tell you know the whole story but uh when you watch rapino you know you just know uh she's she's always and of course her celebrations are top notch as well you're always looking to see what she's going to do next. So love, love the fact that we got two Americans on this list. Next up, another player from Lyon, but of course we, you know, the Ballon d'Or uh, committee or whoever put this list together made sure that we had plenty of diversity. So this is uh, exciting. We got Saki Kumagai, the Lyon midfielder, but also... Uh, she's the captain of Japan's national team, and Japan have really been in a great run of form over the last 10 years as as a footballing nation. Um, on the women's side, you know, you're obviously you look back to to when Homa, when Homarisawa was there, and they beat the Americans to to win the World Cup uh, right around the time the tsunami hit. That was you know that really kind of propelled them into this state that they're in now in terms of the sustained excellence that they have. And Saki Kumagai is at the forefront of that uh, in terms of she is that true um, tactical possession midfielder who can really break you down with with just passes. Um, similar to, uh, I mean, the whole Japanese team in general, they are so tactically sound. And, uh, you know, with their passing, she... She really embodies that to a T, and she's also one of the best at her position. So, again, for her to make this list, it really is no surprise. Uh, another Lyon player, as I said, six six of the 15 on this list are from Lyon. And, you know, when you are the Champions League winners, you're naturally going to have some uh, 
some love. And again, this is based off of last year. So hopefully when next year's nominees come out, the North Carolina Courage players will have just as many because, uh, you know, we do need some of those Courage players, at least one of them on there, because there's no way they can be left off with how well they did. Jennifer Marazan, the Germany captain. Again, she's been one of the best in the game for a long time, whether you've the last two World Cups, she is the player that makes everything go for Germany. I mean, she obviously is another name who is world-renowned and needs to be on this list. The next name is someone who may not be as well-known, but we do need another French player. Amel Madri, a French midfielder who has converted to left-back, which uh, is pretty commonplace in the women's game. You, you may think... Oh, she's a true midfielder. Nope, we'll move you to left back to right back because of the versatility that, that they bring to the table going uh, up and down the pitch. They kind of bring that cerebral mentality of, of you know, being that midfielder to, to backtrack, to be able to pass out of the back. Those kind of, of qualities, the ability to go forward, that's really what we're looking for now in terms of both the men's and women's games, right and left backs do so much more than just defend. You have to have pace. You have to have the ability to to combine well with not just the wingers, but the midfielders intricately. So Madri has been one of the consensus players at left back for Lyon. And again, I th it seems at least one player from each position uh, is going to be on this list. Second to last, uh, Marta. I mean, do we really need to say anything about Marta? It's getting a little ridiculous at this point. Six-time FIFA Player of the Year. She just earned that honor um, a couple weeks ago. And look, she, she's got enough awards. If she wins this Ballon d'Or, I mean, can we get, can we get some, uh, I would say diversity, but can we get something, somebody new, somebody... Who's, who's done just as well because I mean, Marta's great and we know the skill level and her quality is always going to be there. But in terms of her legs and in terms of how she fared in terms of her production, uh, here in America it's definitely gone down as opposed to playing in Sweden or somewhere else because everyone here, uh, as I mentioned before, the American game is a little more defensive-minded and everyone is looking to stop Marta when she's on the ball. So so she's played more of a role as a distributor rather than scoring goals. Obviously, she scored some amazing goals, but in terms of her dis distribution um, is really unmatched. Her vision is unmatched. There is no questioning that. Finally, probably my favorite player on the list. That's why I've, I've got my Dutch jersey on right now. Lieke Mertens, uh, a Dutch midfielder who moved to Barcelona uh, t right after uh, the European Championships in 2017, which the Dutch, by the way, won. This was a huge step for the Dutch women whose program was never really comparable to, to the men, right? I mean, obviously the Dutch are associated with total football and, uh, and the women certainly embody that now too. And Lieke Mertens is really someone who burst onto the scene, won the golden boot, really kind of shredded everyone right she was this incredible player this incredible incredible player so keep an eye on her the move to barcelona makes a ton of sense for her and her style of play and uh definitely definitely do not um 
do not miss her. If you get the chance, it's it's tougher for us here in America to to you know watch some of those European games. You got to find a stream because there's there's really nothing out here uh, in terms of live. Maybe a, a YouTube uh, TV stream or something like that. But if you get the chance to watch her, tune in. You will not be disappointed with her quality and her skill. Excuse me, but we still have two more names on the list. So let me break that down. Christine Sinclair, of course. Her level of consistency needs to be really needs to be appreciated, uh, because what separates the good players from the great players in any sport, it's it's consistency, right? The great players always find a way to be more consistent than the good ones, right? Because everyone has talent. It's it's the hard work that you put in that separates everyone. And Sinclair, for her to be, you know, 32, 33, uh, there's always any time any soccer player hits that age 30 mark the questions start flowing. The questions start coming in. Do they still have the legs? Can they still play? Do they still have it? Uh, Christine Sinclair very clearly could still play, whether it's last year. She even had a better start to the season this year in the NWSL. So what she does for the Portland Thorns, what she does for Canada. Um, at this pace, I mean, look, she's probably going to – she's definitely going to go – to the 2023 World Cup. I think at this at this rate, she doesn't seem like she has any signs of slowing down. She she clearly loves the game, still has a passion for it. So after 2019, we'll see, you know, if she is 36, 37, the kind of shape that she keeps herself in. But uh, she's still going to play for Canada. I don't see them finding a replacement for her or someone of her stature anytime soon. And the last name, finally, finally, the last name on the list. Wendy Renard, one of my favorite players, the anchor of Lyon's back line. So basically three out of four players of Lyon's back line have made this list one of the best defenses around. Uh, really the the only center back on this list. Uh, now the the one name, right, Wendy Renard is, is one of the best, but I think it's an interesting debate to talk about Wendy Renard or Becky Sauerbrunn as the best center back in the world because Becky does it, truly does it all. And I've seen Wendy Renard obviously play. She is, uh, you really can't can't beat her either. You cannot get past her. But I do not know if she has the same quality on the ball that, that Becky has displayed in terms of an overall skill set. Now, Becky may have gotten left off the list because of her injury late last season and her performance, you know, kind of fluctuated. She was in and out of the side coming back from injury. So maybe that would explain why she did not make the list. But next year, um, there is no way you can have a ball into your list and not have Becky Sauerbrunn on it because she is probably one of the top two or three players on the USA national team. And the USA national team is the best in the world. So by that logic, I mean, come on. Uh, I hate to say that there's a little bit of bias because it is a French federation and it's a French award and we have six, seven Lyon players on this list. But again, they're all, you know, they should be there in the end. And when we look at as the game grows, we hopefully start to get uh, more of a, a diverse uh, list. Oh, also, cannot forget Sam Kerr, right? So there's, there's number 15. Sam Kerr, thankfully, thank you, thank you, thank you. Sam Kerr, uh, I talked about this on the last podcast, how she needed 
to to get on some kind of list and it was a travesty that she got left off the the FIFA player of the year shortlist because of her production and if Ada Hedeberg and Pernil Harder are going to be on this shortlist then obviously she has to be on there as well the best striker in the NWSL probably the best striker in the W League when she goes and plays uh goes back home to play as well so her production level year round uh really I I think she's the best striker in the world and uh finally you know she for me is also a top five player so we'll see where she will fall hopefully she gets past the first round of cuts for for this short list because again she also deserves to be on there all righty it is time for our second interview of the day jenny ruiz williams the assistant coach a assistant coach on cal state northridge she recently got the job uh earlier this year and uh, she's told us all about her experience, the transition, everything about it. She has a tremendous passion for the game, for coaching, and uh, again, a great opportunity to, to get more insight into the college game uh, on the women's side and really talk about how it's developed. So right now, Jenny Ruiz Williams, enjoy. Jenny, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, you've been at Cal State Northridge since last February as an assistant coach? That's correct. How would you say your transition uh, to coaching in the college ranks has been so far? Um, I have absolutely loved it. It's something I always wanted to get into, but because of you know, my playing career and, and the time demands kind of of college coaching, I wasn't able to make it work. And and this year has just been such an amazing, wonderful experience. I've had the best time. I love it. Have there been any any challenges, any adjustments that you've had to make since since getting there? Um, I think uh, adjustments as far as just like life adjustments or as within like coaching or probably co- both, mean? both, both. Okay, so um. With coaching, I, I, a big difference from, you know, like the competitive club atmosphere to college, I've really noticed that you're getting all these kids at a time where, you know, they've come from club and they've been maybe their star on their club team. And now they have to kind of take a, a more humbling approach of starting over a little bit in their career and taking a backseat and, and going becoming learners where they had almost felt maybe that they might have been done with that aspect, um, which obviously you're never done with it as a, as a player. Um, also, another another big thing I've noticed with college is how important creating this, this culture within your group is because you're with them. It's just this like sprint slash marathon of a season, and you've got to get buy-in from these freshmen who don't know anyone, but you're asking them to just die for these seniors who they, who they don't know. And then you have these, uh, you know, seniors where you're, they've, they've grinded for so many years and you're asking, give me one more and no regrets kind of thing. So that's been a fun thing of, of navigating the mental part of it and the, and building team culture. I, I like that. And then just like life-wise it's, it's been, I moved out here from, um, Nashville most recently, but, I am a California native, so it's been great to be back here. I, I appreciate the weather. I mean, every day it's sunshine, so mm-hmm. I can't complain. And uh, you've been a director and coach at two other girls' clubs prior to this. What kind of experience or what do you take from those? What do you take from your prior experiences that have helped you at, at, your, at your new position so far? 
Um, a lot of it, I just have grown so much through my coaching career to be, I wouldn't say as a player, I was much of a leader, um, in my younger years, but, um, going into like the coaching role and, and a directing role, I, I've learned to, to become more of a leader and I've had some amazing people come alongside me and encourage me to step up into different roles. And, and that's just been amazing for my growth as a coach and, and just, um, I think what's really been valuable is um, because there's so few female coaches that um, I'm really in, I don't know, I think it's a scary res- responsibility, but it's a it's an honor to to kind of be a, a, an example for them as a, as a role model, as a coach that, I mean, it was probably about four years ago when I was coaching in Palo Alto, I, I asked one of the girls I was coaching, Hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? And she said, I want to be a player until I can't play anymore. And then I want to coach like you. And that like blew That's my awesome. mind because when I was growing up, that was never like what I wanted uh, you know, I wanted to play for Galaxy and be on a men's team because that was my role model. But wow, I can't believe that this is a career path now that girls are can write down, you know, when they're in school, when I grow up, I want to be. So I, I think that's pretty cool. So that ability to, to make an impact, that's one of the main reasons why you took on this job, right? As coaching, so I, I originally, when I left college, I went on to grad school and, and I did my master's in education. I did a program called Teach for America. So I was going to be a teacher. Um, but then I got this itch to that I, I just wasn't quite done playing soccer and I had some amazing people in my corner encourage me to go back and play. And in order to play and kind of survive financially, I had to coach. And then I just found coaching to be this beautiful marriage of, of teaching, but then but then the game of soccer. I mean, it doesn't get anything better than that. And so that's kind of what where, why I've been able to come into this to the coaching. I just love I love teaching and I, and I love I'm so enthusiastic about the game of soccer and growing it and building girls and just players. Um, there's just so much character development and life skills you learn. It's, it's wonderful. Yeah, you mentioned character development and, and building a team. Tell us more about Northridge as a program right now. How's it going? How's the season? And how do you guys look to build as you move into the future? Um, I think our season is, is going well. We, we came off a really good weekend this weekend. Um, the big thing that we're kind of working on with our team is is just focusing. Although we're college soccer is heavily results driven. You know, you have to. At the end of the day, you go onto someone's website and you look at their their schedule and you look at their results, and that can define the whole season just by the what's in the W column and the L column. But trying to get through the the girls, um, the young ladies, into their mind thinking, you know their effort and putting the focus on their effort and then and then what will come come of that because i i think the identity here at northridge is is um keith the head coach has created this mentality that we are like a a gritty never say die kind of and so just having the girls going um owning that identity and in the effort and the hard work and things will good things will come from that so that's kind of what we've been focusing on these last few weeks and and it's been it's been really successful mm-hmm. and you were at uh unlv i believe in the early 2000s 
Yes, I was. So, so, so from then till now, what's what's the biggest difference you've noticed from the college game till now to now? Um, you know, I, I it is different, but it's so that it's the same because you're you're taking girls and putting our young ladies, excuse me, you're putting them into an atmosphere of, you know this bubble of college where it's ha- you know it's education and it's grinding on the field and it's just doing life with this huge roster of of women who have come together for the the purpose of representing their school in the classroom and on the field so that that hasn't changed i think as youth soccer and everything has and just like everything is advancing more technically um that has changed the the quality of the players that are coming into into all the programs now. So I think that there's just great quality of, of, of women players out there where it's not just maybe when I was, when I was younger going through college uh, and I'm not just not to say this isn't a strength anymore where, where people are looking at the player as, as an athlete, not as like a technician, not like a soccer player where you're getting that a lot more like the full package player at all these programs where, wow, this girl has great um, athletic attributes, but she also is a soccer player and her, she's thinking intelligently and and you can do all this with them. So I, I would say that's been a shift. You have played the game at the highest level. You've represented Mexico at a world cup. You've played for the Seattle rain as, as someone who's been a true professional, what is the most important message or piece of advice that you try to, to relay to your players as much as possible? Oh, that's a really good question. The most important piece of advice to, to give my players, I just think like it to being at the highest level, you don't get there without just that a strong work ethic. Mm-hmm. But also enjoy, enjoying what you do, that eagerness to to perform and that relentless attitude of of wanting to get there. You know, it, it's anything. If, if if I had gone so far and been an amazing accountant, you know, I, that means I just love that field. Yeah. So that that would be my advice: just to work hard and love what you do. You know, be passionate. If it went, you know, when you when you go and you've lost your drive and your passion and your enjoyment for what you're doing, then it just becomes a job and a task. Mm-hmm. You know, you someone does that differently when you when you're really passionate about it. So mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that was a great question. Thank you, you got me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so earlier you mentioned uh, teaching and you know, really uh, being such a big part of, of why you do this. What is is that your favorite thing about being a college coach now, or is there one thing in particular that really stands out? Um, I like well, there I I do. I was just I've done youth coaching so long. I really wanted something a little bit more as far as like a faster pace and like that chess match kind of thing. I felt mm-hmm. like I was playing a little checkers, and now I'm doing chess. <laughs> yeah. Um. But, uh, yeah, the mentoring part of it, uh, I just think of when I was this age, I mean, this is when I, the age I met my husband, this is where I chose my career path and so many things are going on in these, these student athletes lives right now. And, um, I guess maybe that's the mother in me like that. I love to play those different roles and infect their lives, you know, positively if, if I'm able to, or encourage them along on their path. I mean, I think it's, 
it's such a privilege. It's nothing I would ever take lightly. I, every day I, I feel so honored to play a role in, in their lives. Yeah. That's a great answer. Um, oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, one final question before I let you go. Um, do you have a vision for leading your own program one day and, and really making an impact and kind of being that a, a figurehead for, for women's college soccer at the, at the college level? Yeah, that's definitely the goal. Absolutely. I would love, I would love to, if, if the opportunity came to go. Yeah. I'm, I'm so grateful this, um, I'm applying for the A license with us soccer. I just want to grow more as a coach. I do want to go to the next level. I'd love to have my own program and, and yeah, that's definitely, I, I want to continue to grow and just be the best in, in this field I can and, and to, to help use any characteristics I might have to, to help others even grow, you know, and pour into others for sure. Would you, would you yeah. go back to UNLV? My old stomping grounds. Mm -hmm. Well, Chris Shaw's there. He is just doing a phenomenal job. I, I, I love what he's doing. So I, I don't think that one's going to open up anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I am a, I am a huge, uh, even my husband, you know, um, we're running rebels where we definitely enjoyed our time there. It was wonderful. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Again, that was Jenny Ruiz Williams of Cal State Northridge. They've got a, they're slowly but surely building a, a program over there and, you know, the West Coast has so many great programs that really kind of go under the radar because California is such a hotbed for, for talent out there. I mean, you could go all the way, you know, there, there's so many clubs, so many different schools that take it so seriously. So, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, we wish the best for Cal State Northridge as they continue to grow as a football program. And it was great to speak with Jenny Ruiz Williams about her experiences there. Okay, two more things before we get to the end of our show. The first, last month, our Passion Player of the Month was Batia Biguli. This month, we have a another special story, Savannah down in Houston, we want to give her a huge, huge shout-out for her perseverance. Uh, she unfortunately lost her and her family, lost her home to Hurricane Harvey. And uh, since then, she's really been focused on hitting her goal of 1,000 straight juggles. Um, she's only nine years old. So if you can imagine what you were doing when you were nine years old, even if you were playing soccer, I mean, 1,000 juggles consecutively... Uh, that's really impressive. I I'm pretty sure my record was three when I was when I was nine, and I mean I was a keeper, so naturally I was more than content to use my hands. But um, but yeah, three. So a thousand for Savannah. Congratulations. We're happy to tell her story, and again, way more information on her uh, over on our website, girlssoccernetwork.com, or again, go like our post put up a post on her on Instagram at girls soccer network. And of course, Twitter as well at girls soccer net. If you need, again, we bring you everything about the women's game. We've got a tremendously diverse amount of content, whether it's lifestyle, whether it's, whether it's just the pure soccer, we bring you everything, whether it's advice on how to improve your game. We've got 
a partnership with Striker Elite as well out there in, in California. So a tremendous opportunity for you to, if you want to improve your game, if you want to take it to the next level, or if you just want to consume soccer news, right? We have it all. Go to girlssoccernetwork.com. Second thing, another cool, cool piece that uh, is over on our site right now. Nike has teamed up with Off-White to empower women's athletes. We've got two Chicago Red Stars, Yuki Nagasato and Sam Kerr, who um, were uh, dressed to the nines in, in some really fresh gear. Uh, I believe they were the outfits were designed uh, by Virgil, who, again, you really can only say on a first-name basis, right? But um, he was talking about you know empowering women on this level for for a variety of reasons and uh there's plenty more stuff um about that story on the site so definitely definitely go check it out okay we have reached the end of episode four of give and go hopefully by the next time uh we have our next episode of the podcast the u.s women's national team will be Concacaf champions uh we do not want to have to go through what happened all those years ago. We had to play Italy in a, in a playoff. Uh, that was that was pretty nerve-wracking, and I don't think we want to do what the men's team did by just not qualifying. And again, that's not going to happen. Uh, the, the women are, are the best, and uh, we shouldn't really have to be worried about them. So, before we go, Give and Go is presented with listening party the creators of family fm follow the crew on instagram at listening part at listening party presents and at canal street market so again thank you guys for tuning in and we will be back in two weeks time hope you enjoyed see you later bye bye